Hello and welcome to the Resilient Sessions. Alongside our weekly episodes, we wanted to give listeners the chance to hear the full story of our veterans. This is Jack's story. Contact! Contact ID! Man down! Man down! 30 days later, I woke up. Now, five years prior to that eventful day in Afghanistan, I was at my local train station, good old Dickcock Parkway. I was wearing this most horrendous outfit. It was this pinside suit that was like five times too big for me, with this lime green shirt. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yes, it was from Primark. I love a bit of Primarni. And two, yes, my mum did dress me. I was there because I was catching a train to go up north. I was heading up to Harrogate in Yorkshire to join the British Army. Now, only a week earlier, I got my GCSE results. I did all right. I got like B's and C's, average. But for me, going on to college and university just wasn't appealing. To get all that debt, it wasn't for me. I wanted excitement. I wanted adventure. Most of all, I wanted a sense of belonging. And everything that the British Army offered ticked all those boxes. So as the train arrived, my dad came up to me. See you in a few weeks, son. As dads do. Now, as you probably guessed, sorry, I was a bit of a mummy's boy. So saying goodbye to my mum was a bit harder. She hugged me, and as she let go, I looked at her face. I could see a few tears dripping. I looked into her eyes, and I could see it. Yes, there was pride, but also there's a little bit of fear. Now, during my army career, I saw mum pull that exact same face twice more, the two times I deployed to Afghanistan. My first tour, I deployed in 2007. I was 19 years old. At that time, all my friends were at university getting drunk. I was training for war. Months and months and months of training finally paid off and I deployed. I said goodbye to my mum, and this time you could see it more, the fear in her eyes. But to tell the truth, she didn't really know too much about my job. I was deploying as part of an IED search team, a high-risk job. We would be leading the line of the infantry, clearing the route for them. Not the easiest job in the world, but someone had to do it. Now, back then, 2007, the IEDs or the bombs, the improvised explosive devices, wasn't a huge, huge threat. The bombs they were laying down were huge. Any Joe Blocks, member of the public with a metal sector, beep, 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 could go along and find them. Really, really easy. Doesn't mean the job out there was any easy. Believe me, I was young and I was naive when I first went out. But I grew up pretty quickly when the rounds started falling around me. Now, in the bomb disposal world, there's three parts. You get the conventional side, you get the improvised side, and you get the search side. In the conventional side, it's basically bombs and mortars and grenades. What they normally do when they find these is they build a bed HESCO, some structure around it, and blow it in situ. The improvised side's a little bit more complicated. This is where this guy at the end of the wire pressing the button to set it off. It might be a pressure plate IED on the floor, so the victim walks on it, bam, he sets it off. 
this was the main weapon of choice in Afghanistan. And my job was to find it. So you've got the three sides of the, the EOD, the bomb disposal world. Thankfully, the first two, they already know where the bomb is. It's already been found. So with me and my job, you're literally not knowing if your next step's going to be your last. I deployed on my second tour in the summer of 2010. Now, Afghan summer is hot. And I mean stupidly hot. You've got all your kit on, so you've got your helmet, your body armour, your boots, you're carrying your rifle, you've got your ammunition, you've got your food and water for the day. On top of that, you've got all your bomb disposal equipment as well. So running around getting shot at, trying to find bombs is no easy job. When I say goodbye to mum that time, it's like she had a mother's instincts. You know they say, you know, mum's instincts. She, she didn't want to let me go. She could sense, she had the sixth sense, something might happen. The summers of the 2009-2010 conflict in Afghanistan, the worst for British soldiers. It seemed like every day in the news, breaking news, a British soldier has died in Afghanistan. Every day it seemed like that was happening. What you didn't hear about, though, was the casualties. On the 14th of August 2010, it was just a normal bog-standard day. We'd go out, we were searching a road into a new patrol base that was getting built. Searching along all by myself. Beep, 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 beep. And I missed it. I missed the bomb. Now, to tell the truth, I don't remember if, if anything what happened that day. It's only from the stories the guys and my team told me. And to tell the truth, I don't think they're telling me the whole picture because then they're still battling with that day in their heads. They've got to live for that day for the rest of their lives, and that's my fault. I feel guilty because of that. Supposedly I went 10 foot up in the air and landed face down. Wasn't moving. My team commander rushed over to me, thought I was dead. He put his hand underneath my mouth and he could feel me breathing still. Guys, come over here, man down, get come over here. First off, they get tourniquets. They put tourniquets around your legs cut off the blood. The main reason why British soldiers were dying was because of blood loss in Afghanistan. You've got to cut off the blood supply to their legs. They then flipped me over to put me on a stretcher because the helicopter, the medical emergency response team, the Merc, was coming in to pick me up. As soon as they flipped me over, I was gone. I was in and out of consciousness. Slapping me, slapping me, Jack, Jack! Slapping me in the face to keep me awake. So they knew if I closed my eyes, I probably was never going to open them. As I say, I woke up 30 days later. 30 long days. So much Netflix I could watch. Watch some 30 days. <sighs> I woke up, and when you wake up, it's not like you're alert and you're awake. You're groggy. Don't know what's going on. Scared. I was nervous. Opening my eyes. All I could hear behind was beep, beep, beep. All these monitors and machines behind me making noises. So what you do, I started checking myself out. I looked down. My left hand was in a vacuum bag. The blood seeping and dripping out of it. It's gone there. Started feeling down. Can't feel my legs. So I tried speaking. Nothing was coming out. No words were coming out. 
I had a tracheostomy in my throat. I couldn't speak. I was panicking. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. It wasn't until a couple of weeks later the medication started wearing off and I had the tracheostomy out. I had to find out. I had to ask the question. So I called my dad in. My dad, uh, for those who don't know, is an ex-soldier himself. He spent 42 years in the army. He's been there. He's done it. He's got a T-shirt. He's done multiple tours of Northern Ireland. He's a real man's man. Real man's man. Anybody who's going to tell me straight what's happened being my dad. So I got him in. I asked him specifically. Got him in. Sat me by the side of my bed. I said it straight. Dad, have I lost both my legs? My dad said no words. He just started crying. And when I mean crying, he started bawling. I've never, ever seen my dad cry. And seeing my dad cry like that set me off. <laughs> Everything was going. Panic. Tears. Shouting. Screaming. I think I was trying to wake myself up. I'm still dreaming. I'm still dreaming. All my dad could do was hug me and tell me, it'll be all right. You're alive. You shouldn't be, but you're alive. It'll be fine. It'll be all right. From that day, I've tried to be positive because I'm so lucky to be here. I've been told many times I shouldn't have been here. One guy I met further on my Krebber journey took that and put that into total perspective. I was at Headley, uh, Tedworth House, which is the Health and Heroes Centre down Tedworth. I was on a course, or a settlement course, where you transition from military and civilian life. And I tipped up into the comm room, and there was a guy there in a wheelchair. He wasn't moving. It was Alice. All he could do was move his head. I got talking to him, and I found out that he was ex-Special Forces, and he had been shot through the neck. And he'd been paralysed from the neck down. I was shocked like wide open mouth shot. What you remember is this guy in his peak had passed the hardest military course, not in just the UK, in the world. He was the most elite soldier in the world and now he was sat there in his wheelchair just talking, moving his head. It's all he could do. And I looked at him and it totally put in perspective. Yes, I've lost my legs, but I can drive. I'm independent. I can go to the toilet for Christ's sake. I can go down the shops. I can go and watch the mighty Oxford United play. It just put it into total perspective. And from then on, every time when I felt sad or down, I think of him. And I think, well, if he's all right, then I'm all right. I spent five and a half months in hospital. And then from there, I got transferred to Headley Court in Surrey for three and a half years. Headley Court is the military rehabilitation centre, where they literally get you back up on your feet. They give you a set of prosthetics, they give you a brand new wheelchair, you know, they get you independent again. It was incredible. It was hard work, but it was incredible. After three and a half years though, I got medically discharged. And I got home, and I actually sat in this position a lot. This is my favourite place on the sofa. Right, right in front of our big 70-inch TV. And I, I got fat. 
I didn't waste away or give up. I just let go. I had no role, no purpose, no aim in life. I was doing nothing. This is where my wife comes in. Now I love my wife dearly. She's five foot one. She's slim, really petite. But Christy, is she fiery. For those who've ever watched The Big Bang Theory, she's very much like Bernadette. The day I always remember with her, she comes in. And I'm there, sat in this position. I've got my nice cup of coffee, cup of chocolate digesters, my favourites. She comes in. She's shaking her head. She's just looking at me. And she goes, Jack, for Christ's sake, you've got bigger boobs than me. A lot of other words were said that day. A lot of other swear words. It's a big argument. By the end of it, though, I realised that I had let myself go. I had to take a really, really, really big look in the mirror at myself and think, what's happened to me? When we finally both calmed down, she got hold of me and said, look, Jack, it's our wedding in a year and a half. For me, for my wedding present, don't want rings or diamonds or anything like that. Can you, for me, lose a bit of weight and look good for our wedding photos? So we can look back on those photos in years to come and think, yeah, look how far you've come. I said for you, Sarah, I'll do that. So I started training. Sarah used to kick me out of bed at half five in the morning, half five, to get to the gym and then into the swimming pool. Started lifting weights, started swimming. The weight gradually started to fall off. Took a while, but it did. About a year before the wedding, we got the email through about the Invictus Games. Good old Prince Harry, the old Ginger Ninja. It's his flagship games. So I said to Sarah, do you think I've got a shot? She said, yeah, you're training really well. You're looking really good in the swimming pool. Go for it. Went to trials, got selected. Couldn't be so proud. Honestly, so proud of myself to get that far. It didn't actually matter about going to the games and competing. Just to see how far I've come in a short space of time. I went to Toronto and competed in swimming. I wasn't so good in the freestyle, the breaststroke I was better. <sighs> Got to the end, won a bronze. Oh my God, I was so happy. Got onto the podium, got my medal over me. Did what anyone do, you bite it, just to make sure it wasn't chocolate. <sighs> I looked up to the crowds and I could, I could see my mum and dad and my wife jumping up and down, going crazy. Took a double take and I saw it. I saw it in their eyes. They had their old Jack back. From competing in the Invictus Games, it only spurred me on to do more challenges. I cycled from Paris to London. I cycled from Cardiff to London. I've done open water and lake swims. And then the big one. The big one was last year. I did the London Marathon. The London Marathon has always been my bucket list. And I've got a place through amazing charity, that's Blesma. Now, with the London Marathon, you can't just tip up in the day and hope for the best. You just can't do it. You need to put the miles in. So with Invictus, I started training again for the marathon. I'll be pushing miles, miles, miles and miles. I got to the day, absolutely incredible. Just finished over four hours. I was hoping under five, so just over four. Absolutely incredible. Now, guys, it's been an up and down 10 years for me. An up and down 10 years. Some massive highs, some big lows. I've personally been to my own personal hell, and I've met the devil. Fist bumped him. I've had a cheeky beer with him. I told him not today. 
there's so much in life I want to do, I want to see, I want to experience. Me and my wife have got so much to do, so much to see, so much to experience. If it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for my mum and dad and the rest of my family, if it wasn't for my friends, I wouldn't be in this position today. If you're struggling, please don't struggle in silence. Speak to your family, speak to your friends. There's some amazing charities out there that will help you. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be in this position today. Been absolute honour and privilege speaking to you today. I just want to wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Jack's story, which we've released as part of the Resilient Session series. We're back next week with another full episode where Stu and I chat to inspiring Blesma veterans and a specially invited guest. See you then.